tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He's alive eternally. And that's what we celebrate. It is a fact that we celebrate this morning. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, summarizing the great fact of what we celebrate this morning. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So he's saying this is something that the Old Testament was continually prophesying about and pointing to. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan to redeem humanity through a Messiah, through a Savior, through the Christ. According to the scriptures, this is the message that all of our beliefs as Christians, and it's the message ultimately that all of life itself hangs on, that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, as Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15, then we believe in vain. He says our faith is is, is worthless. We're to be pitied if Jesus has not risen from the dead. If, if he has not risen from the dead, we are still dead. We are the walking dead in a spiritual way of speaking. If he's dead, we're dead. We'd have no hope because we would not have uh, the proof that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, that he really does have the power over our sin and over death. But that's not the message that we're here this morning to rally around. We're here this morning because Jesus did conquer sin and death. The tomb is, in fact, empty, and so we are a people of hope. We're a people of hope. We have hope and life this morning in him. Now, when I say that, I'm declaring that and I see lots of nods out there this morning, which is encouraging as God's people. But I want to ask this question to us all and really have us consider in our hearts, do you believe what I just said? Do you believe that this morning? And really believe this morning? Do you really believe it? You know, any Sunday this is true. It's certainly true on Easter Sunday. You're here this morning probably for one of three reasons. The first reason is because you do believe that. And you're here because you want to come with the people of God and proclaim that reality and, 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 and receive the good news of that reality every week. Or maybe you're here this morning because you're not sure if you believe, but you're curious. You want to know more. You're, you're open to investigating this. You're, you're looking for meaning and answers in life, and you want to See what Jesus has to say about that. Or maybe you're here this morning because, well, it's Easter, and you just, that's what you do on Easter. You go to church, right? Maybe it's more of a traditional thing. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't really uh, mind why you're here, any of those reasons. I'm really glad that you're here. Regardless of why you're here, I want to challenge you, wherever you're at, again, to consider for yourselves whether you believe that Jesus is the Christ, whether you believe that he really rose from the dead. And in, in saying that, I also, I also think it's important to make this statement. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not in regards to whether it's true or not. It's true. Historical facts are true, regardless of whether you believe them, right? But what does matter for you 
is whether you believe that truth, whether you're willing to reckon with it and respond to it, because your response to that fact makes all the difference in your understanding of the grand purpose and meaning of life. It makes all the difference in your eternal state and destiny. So think with me again this morning, soberly, do you believe? What I want to do is I want to read with you in Luke chapter 24, so I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible. We're going to read the resurrection account as recorded in Luke's gospel. And I want you to notice something really, really interesting about this account, maybe something that you haven't thought about before. But before we read the resurrection account, remember we had uh, John 19 read to us leading up to the point of the crowds crying out for the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was indeed crucified. And I want to pick up actually at the end of Luke 23, just to give you a, a preview, a background, I should say, of the events right before what we're going to focus on this morning. So immediately after the death of Christ, this is Friday afternoon yet, look at verse uh, 50 of chapter 23. It says, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. So look up for a second. This Joseph says he was a member of the council. In other words, he was a part of the religious leadership in Jerusalem that had cried out for and ultimately crucified Christ. But he as a member of that council, it said, tells us, didn't agree with that decision. He was a righteous man, Scripture says, and he was, he was looking for the kingdom of God. There's, there's evidence here that his faith in Jesus as the answer to who, who is God, where is the kingdom to be found, is, is burgeoning, if not in full effect. And it says, this man went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him, with him being from, with Jesus from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and they prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So again, this is Friday. So you've got a couple of, of the disciples of Jesus, some women who had come down with him into the city of Jerusalem. They see the crucifixion. They've now seen Joseph take the body and put the body in this tomb. And we're told that they began to prepare spices, which was a, a normal custom for the embalmment of a body. And they were doing that to, to handle Jesus's body. However, it was Friday night, the Sabbath was about to begin, and so they had to stop. They couldn't continue that work on the Sabbath during the day of Saturday, so they rested on Saturday. So they began the preparations Friday. It's Saturday. Nothing goes on. Chapter 24 now we pick up at Sunday morning. 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. I want you to look back at verse 5. Did you catch what the angels, and by the way, that's what these two men in dazzling apparel were. They were, they were angels. Did you catch what they said to the women there? They asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? an important question, and that's the question I want us to center our time around this morning. Again, remember these two women, and we're told, by the way, in Matthew's gospel account that these women were Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They came to the tomb early that morning for a reason, for a specific purpose. Verse 1 tells us they had come with these spices that they had prepared for Jesus's body. And again, as I said earlier, these spices were used by Jewish culture to cover the stench of a decaying body. The preparation of his body with spices had actually begun on Friday, but was interrupted by the Sabbath when it would have been unlawful for anyone to continue in this process. So they come back again Sunday morning to finish what they began Friday, but they find something they didn't expect to find. They find that the stone is rolled away. We're told in Mark's gospel account that they were expecting to come and figure out how they were going to roll that stone away. And then that they would expect to find what any of us would reasonably expect to find in a tomb, a dead body. That's why, again, they had the spices. Spices were for a dead body. Even though... Scripture and even Jesus himself had given clear indications that a resurrection was coming. John chapter 2, Matthew chapter 20, for example, they weren't prepared for that. These women were not prepared for what they were about to find. Now, I want you to note these were two women who loved Jesus. These are two women who loved him dearly. They had followed him, they had cared for him. They were there at the very end of his life to stay with him. The fact that they were the ones here and the only ones here this morning was, an, was further evidence of their deep love and devotion to Jesus as their Lord. They were here to care for him and his body even after his death. They loved him. But despite their love for Jesus, we get a sense here that their faith was apparently not yet in a place to believe that that tomb might be empty. We know that that idea was far from their minds because verse 8 tells us that it wasn't until the angel reminded them of Jesus' advance notice of the resurrection that they remembered, oh yeah. 
So here's what I want us to understand. This is an important application point for us. These are, these are, these are women, these are followers of Christ who believed in a Savior, but were also looking for him in the wrong place. Why? Because they were looking where dead things dwell. And they weren't alone in their thinking. After all, where were the apostles this morning? Where were the other disciples of Jesus that morning? Were they there expecting a resurrection? Were they looking for a a risen Jesus in which to find their hope? They weren't there either. And I wonder, where would you have been or where would I have been that morning? And I don't really have to wonder that hard. I don't think we'd have been there either. Where are you today in your expectation of a risen Savior? See, the angel's question to these two women here is remarkable. It's probably the best question that any of us could be asked this morning. And I'm going to ask it again. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Let's focus on that question, and let me ask you, have you been looking for life among dead things? Have you been trying to find, effectively, a Savior where only dead things dwell? And you can answer that question, or at least attempt to answer it, by asking yourself, what am I putting my hope in for life this morning? Where is my attention focused? Where, what am I worried about? And what is it that I think will bring security and comfort and relief from my worries and my fears? Are you looking for life, but looking in the wrong place? Unfortunately, it's, it's too common for many of us, even people who truly love the Lord, to have a faith that doesn't always look in the right place. We forget, perhaps we sometimes ignore, the promises that Jesus has made about his resurrection, about his promise of new life. Instead, we will often place our hope in earthly things and seek to find comfort in the material things of this world to make us again feel safe or feel secure. In essence, we're looking for a savior. We're just looking for some kind of functional savior. Sadly, most Americans seek comfort in things that we can purchase with our money. Many of us put our hope in our circumstances, believing that life will be better only when this change occurs or when that change occurs. If I only had a better job or if I only had a little bit more money, then I could obtain more things that would provide me with comfort and security. Foolishly thinking in that, that once we attain this economic level that we think will satisfy us, that all of our problems will just disappear with our poverty. Is that where you've been looking for life? Others of us have been looking for life in relationships, longing to find or to be restored with that, that special someone who, will, who they'll understand me. They'll be the one who, who can take care of me with an unfailing love. 
Again, though naively believing that our problems will be solved once we've somehow attained this perfect relationship with this perfect person. But I want to ask you, when was the last time anybody ever truly loved you unfailingly? Are you really looking for life in a relationship? And if the last few years have revealed anything, it's that many of us are hanging our hopes on political solutions to our problems. If we could only eliminate our fears politically, then perhaps I could rest at night. Then I could not worry so much about tomorrow. Is that what you're holding out for? See, you could, you could put all kinds of different things into these blank spaces that I've just tried to fill out. All too often we look to economic or emotional or political stability, things like that to provide us with the life and comfort that we're longing for. And we're all longing for that kind of life and comfort. All the while focusing our attention on the acquisition and then the safekeeping of those things, which is exhausting, is it not? I've got to acquire these things. I've got, to, I've got to find them. I've got to secure them. Then I've got to hold on to them. And it just, it just wears us out. But we're looking for comfort. We'll do anything for security. Dare I say, for salvation. But I want to point out the obvious this morning. Because I think you've already found it to be true. There is no lasting life among dead things. And you say, well, we're talking about things like money, relationships, homes, creature comforts, political systems, dead things. Dead things? Dead things, in this very important sense, they're all perishable. They're all perishable. None of them last. None of them are built out of the kind of stone that can withstand the test of time and trial, they will all crumble. Every single one of them. Nothing lasts forever. Human experience has proven this to us time and time again. And you found that to be true, I know. All of you have just lived through 2020, for crying out loud. If you placed your hope in security and comfort in things like jobs or relationships or economic security, or your health, you found out very quickly that those things can be taken like that. If you've been looking to any earthly thing to give you life, you must have begun to sense that it's, it's not really working out. You're not quite there. In fact, you're nowhere near there because life will elude us in those things. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I want to be clear, if I haven't been clear enough about this, my aim isn't to say that money and relationships or better circumstances are invaluable. That's not true at all. They are actually good gifts given by God to be enjoyed. They are valuable. The problem isn't in the things themselves. The problem is in our assumptions behind our desire for those things. You say, what, what do you mean? I, I mean this, the assumption behind our desire for material things is that if, if we were just able to add something to our lives, we'd be okay. 
My current life, my current status, my current, you know, statement, whatever, I just need to add this and then I'll be okay. That's the assumption. But it's not true. In fact, the whole message of Jesus' life and ministry was just the opposite of that. Just the opposite of that. It's not that we need to add something to what we already have. His message was, you actually need to have something removed. And that's what Good Friday was about. The reason we don't have life is because we are all inherently in possession already of something that the Bible calls a sin nature. That sin nature at its core is looking to earthly things for our security. It's to look anywhere or at anything other than at God himself to provide us what only God can truly provide. And our desire to say, we'll take anything but you, God, that is sin, and that's the nature that we all share. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, which explains a lot about why we're all so uncomfortable in this life. We're all on a one-way trajectory towards death because we're all sinful people. And no amount of cocooning yourself with stuff comforts can change that so what did good friday bring what jesus did as he died on the cross was to offer himself up to die the death that our sin deserves before a holy god the god who made us and who demands that we live the way that we were created to live jesus's death served as the atoning sacrifice needed to remove your sin, to remove my sin and the penalty that it deserves as Jesus receives the death sentence of God's justice in our stead. That's what Good Friday is about. That's why we call it good news. There's a promise there. There's a promise of Jesus that he will truly save us from the one thing that makes us perishable. And his promise not just to die, but to resurrect would be the proof that he could accomplish all that he said he would and could accomplish on our behalf. So there is good news this morning as well. The angel's next words hold the key to solving our, our dilemma. They ask, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And they say, he's not here. He's risen. He's risen. Which is to say that Jesus has done something that no human being or created thing could ever do. He conquered the one thing that stands in the way of our ability to have true life. He conquered death. And Jesus was able to do this because he alone has conquered the sin that plagues humanity. Again, it's sin that leads to death. And he alone can claim this authority because of one remarkable, glorious event. The resurrection proves it. 
The resurrection proves that there is a life that is not perishable. And it can only be found through and in the one who is risen, who is alive, Jesus Christ. So are you looking for life? Are you looking for the living this morning? If you want to know what true life looks like, you've got to look to Jesus. He's the only life that will never perish because he's the only one who's conquered death. The resurrection proves that he's conquered death. He paid the penalty on our behalf for sin Friday at the cross, but he conquered that penalty on Sunday when the tomb was empty and Jesus is alive and well. And you say, well, what does that mean for me? Well, it means a lot for you because furthermore, his resurrection is the hope of new life for all of us who by faith trust in him. When we look to the risen Lord Jesus for new life, he gives it to us. He lets us share in that resurrection with him. We have a hope that is a living hope. We no longer have hope in things that are dead because we're no longer dead. Listen to 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, just as those two women came early that morning to the tomb because they loved Jesus, I assume that there must be a, a level of, of love for you too, or at least, at least a level of hope that has caused you to do the same early this morning. You guys aren't the 9 a.m. service. The, those, those guys, they, they braved alarm clocks way too early for a Sunday morning. You had a little extra time. But nonetheless, you, you listened to that alarm clock. You got out of bed. You, you, you gussied up a little bit. You put on clothes that you probably not, wouldn't normally wear on a Sunday morning. Your Easter best, right? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Well, I believe that you're here because God wanted you here. God led you here to be reminded of something really important. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And I'm really thankful that you're here this morning, that together, me included, we get to listen again to the story of Jesus. But as we listen to what he's done, I want to encourage us with this. Like those women uh, who showed up early need to be encouraged in the same way. Have real faith in him. Even if you're a Christian this morning, you say, oh, I have faith in Jesus. I want to just encourage you. Have real faith. Believe. If you're not a believer this morning, have faith. Believe. Believe what? Don't ever be caught in a moment of, of betraying the living hope that Jesus alone has to offer you. Don't be focused on trying to find a functional Savior where dead things dwell. Because the true Savior is not there. He's risen. 
He is risen, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And his name is Jesus Christ. And only Jesus can give us true, imperishable, lasting life because only he has conquered death. Look, look back at the last verse we covered, verse 8. I just want to leave you with this. Carry this with you this week. Verse 8, what does it say? And they remembered his words. That's your application today. Remember his words. You know, I mentioned earlier in the service that Easter Sunday is sort of like the high point of the Christian calendar. You know, every year we come and we celebrate the resurrection. I, I, I do want to make it really clear that though, though we do that, and I love Easter Sunday, uh, the reason why we gather once a year and have a holiday like this, I think, has more to do with us than it has to do with Scripture because we like holidays, Right? And we like calendars, and we like to have things that we can sort of set in and, and remember and celebrate together with our families. But, but, but I want you to know that Scripture doesn't, doesn't indicate a day on a calendar for us to come and celebrate the resurrection. There's no evidence in the New Testament church that they had a, an annual celebration of Easter. What it does tell us is that what the New Testament church did was they moved their day for gathered corporate worship. When they were Jews and they were celebrating and resting on the Sabbath, they would come to the temple on Saturday. Now they would come to gather as Christ followers and worship on Sunday. Why the change of day? Because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So what does that tell us about the early churches and scriptures understanding of remember his words? They're saying we got to remember this every week, which is to say we've got to remember this every day. This is the center of our profession of faith. We serve a risen Lord. Our hope is found in him, but we need to recall it all the time, all the time. So church, let us remember his words as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. He alone is the giver of imperishable life. Don't look for the living among the dead. Trust in him. Trust in him by faith. And so Father, we pray praising you this morning for the risen Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. You have demonstrated your love and your power to us through his resurrection from the dead, and for that, Father, we give you all the glory. Father, we come this morning loving Jesus, wanting to love Jesus more, and I pray that we would be full of faith in him, but him alone He's the only one who's conquered death and sin, and he alone can give us resurrected lives in him. So help us to remember his words and to live by them and to live in them faithfully all of our days. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us on the cross on Friday, and we praise you for resurrecting us to new life with Jesus Christ on Sunday. And Father, your grace and mercy is too wonderful for us. We praise your holy name, in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.
Amen.